It's intermission time. It's great to get off to the movies. So today on Intermission, we have Olivia, who is actually our producer of the show. Olivia, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Olivia. You never see me because I'm usually behind the camera. So this is very weird for me. And I'm the producer of Intermission. One of them. Yeah, one of them. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited. We've been talking about this for a while and we're finally doing it. Yeah. I want to ask you the question we always ask guests to say a movie that describes your life right now. Well, I had the advantage because I was thinking about this because we asked this for everyone. Um, I'm going to go with Down With Love. Okay. If you haven't seen it, it's super underrated. It's from 2003 with Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger. I think that's how you say her last name. Um, And it's super campy. It takes place in the 60s. And uh, I'm trying to think if I've seen this. It's super underrated. Can you say the name one more time? Down With Love. Okay. Uh, basically it's about Renee Zellweger plays this feminist writer and she kind of declares to the whole city that she's done with love. She's focusing on her career. She's focusing on her independence. I have seen this. Yeah. And she inspires women to like stop dating, stop sleeping with their boyfriends. And um, even McGregor's character, he plays like, he plays this guy catcher block who is like a playboy and he gets wind of this and he decides to trick her into falling in love with him but then it backfires because they actually just fall in love with each other classic and I just really resonate with that movie because I feel like I'm in a period of my life where I'm like I'm done with men I don't care I'm focusing on me my career my ambitions like I don't have time for any of this but I am a lover girl at heart (laughs) so uh it'll always find its way back to me that's a perfect answer and that's like exactly the type of movie I would guess you would have picked that's perfect (laughs) iconic so I wanted to chat a little bit about like what inspired this episode okay so we all as a crew were grabbing a drink at the bar around the corner and we were talking about the movie modern romance yeah I don't remember how it came up me either (laughs) but I guess what ended up happening was Cade our director had such a different perspective of that movie than you yeah and we decided it's It'd be really interesting to do a whole episode dedicated on the female perspective on movies, because I think we do, well, we view the world, we live a different world and we view films with our own perspective. Yeah. Um, Specifically, though, for modern romance, can you share a little bit about your takeaway from that movie and versus what Kate was saying? I don't want to throw Kate under the bus because his opinion's valid. He he just so the movie is about um, this guy who breaks up with his girlfriend and he doesn't really know why he's breaking up with her. He just breaks up with her. And like throughout the movie, he's like uh, mulling over the fact that he broke up with his girlfriend. He can't figure out why. And then he realizes like once she starts to date other people, he wants to get back with her and it's, they end up getting back together. But I interpreted it as like a very toxic relationship. And I was like, Oh my, like I, I, chose this movie to watch because I wanted a rom-com. It was not a rom-com to me. It was like a horror story because he's the character becomes very manipulative in such a subtle, nuanced way. That's why Cade thought it was like... A, like I he think thought he it thought was, it was like endearing. Yeah, he thought it was endearing. <laughs> like It was like comedic. But I was like, oh my God, it's, it's so subtle. That's why it's so scary because this guy is like manipulating his girlfriend and it's so subtle and it's like such a toxic relationship. And, and, and doesn't he like... Um, 
he shows up at her house when she's going on a date yes. with someone. Yes, yeah. he like shows. He does all of these like he he gaslights her a lot. Um, he, she, she's at a meeting for work. It's like a work dinner, and he shows up because he thinks that she's cheating on him, and it's a date, and he's jealous because. It's she's there for a business meeting, but they're guys. And so he's like pulling her away from her work dinner, being like, just hang out with me instead. And she's being super nice about it. And I think, yeah, Kate interpreted it as like an endearing thing. But I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's a psycho. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this guy's like on it. So fucking funny how like we can yeah view things with completely different uh, takeaways in yeah. the end. Before we get into some of the themes that you and I want to discuss, I want to to go over your top five movies okay. that you have famously declared. For those listening who haven't seen this yet, we have done a little fun Instagram post where we do the top five movies for each member of our crew, and we'll start doing them with guests as well. So you have Jennifer's Body, Lost in Translation, Before Sunrise, Pride and Prejudice, and Thelma and Louise. Yes. Can you explain to me how those movies made it into your top five uh, whether it was the um, plots or the feeling or the <laughs> aesthetic. Well, for Jennifer's Body, I think that movie, it's so, when it came out, first of all, that movie is very underrated. And when it came out, it was not received well at all. People actually hated that movie. It got so much flack when it came out. But when you watch it now, like that movie is so ahead of its time. And that's why I appreciate it. Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried are so good in that movie. Diablo Cody's writing is just like it is great. Like it's so funny. Um, That movie has me laughing like from start to finish. And it's just so good. And um, I think it's really hard to do horror comedy. Mm -hmm. So I I just love it's just camp. Like Mm -hmm. that movie's just camp. And I love that. Um, And then. Lost in Translation, I love Sofia Coppola, so I had to do a Sofia Coppola movie. I was between that and The Virgin Suicides, but I went with Lost in Translation because I think when I watched it, I watched it recently, and the themes in that movie really like resonated with me. It's about these two people finding love and comfort, temporary love and comfort in each other. They're very lost people, and then they have this short time together, and then they say goodbye, and that's it, but... I think there's something just beautiful about temporary love. I just love that theme. Like that's a theme I gravitate towards a lot. So I put that in my top five. And then I had Before Sunrise. Before Sunrise. Again, like I said, I'm a hopeless romantic. So I love Before Sunrise because these two people fall in love in a, in a day. And I'm actually a person who like, I feel like that that can happen. And I just love that whole trilogy because the first one is so hopeful. It's like super... I don't want to say juvenile. It's the most hopeful of the movies. And then as the trilogy progresses, you see like the relationship unfold and it becomes more realistic. And by the last the last movie in the trilogy before Midnight, they're together. But it's the most realistic depiction of love that I've ever seen in a movie. Like the dialogue is just I've had these arguments and relationships. I've had these conversations. And there's a scene in the last one. I know I put the first one. But it's just the whole trilogy. Like in the in the last one, there's a scene where they're fighting and they're about to have sex in bed. And then they their kid calls and like they get sidetracked from having sex and then they get in an argument. But then they're like also loving with each other at the same time. And it's just such a realistic depiction of love. And that's why I I love it so much. And it's hard to make a movie that's all dialogue. Mm -hmm. And that one does it really well. 
Um, I think I did Pride and Prejudice next. Mm-hmm. That one, <laughs> I'm a lover girl, clearly. Uh, I love Pride and Prejudice. The movie is shot so beautifully. Like the, I love the cinematography in it. I love Kira Knightley. I love Jane Austen. It's an enemies to lovers. That's my favorite trope. I just love the story. There's no like artsy deeper meaning to that one. I just love it's a comfort movie. So There's I no had, better flirting than enemies to lovers. Exactly. It's and, and it's, I hate watching people flirt, but an enemies <laughs> to lovers is I'm yes, it. exactly. And I just I had to put one of my comfort movies on there. And then the last one, Thelma and Louise. I mean, what is not to love about that movie? It's so good. When did it come out in the 90s? Also, I think ahead of its time. It's so good. I love the depiction of female friendship in that movie. It doesn't get better than that. Like their relationship with each other and how they both grow into their own. Like Thelma especially starts off. She's a housewife. And like you can see it in her outfits too. Like Mm -hmm. from start to finish. Her outfits get so badass at the end. exactly. (laughs) And she finds out who she is on that road trip and like becomes her own person. And then that ending is just the best ending. It's tragic, but it's beautiful. Perfect. And I love when she's at home and her best friend's trying to get her to come on the road trip. And just that feeling of like running out to the car. Like that is, I imagine myself, a friend being like, let's go grab a drink. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I have a face mask on. I'm staying (laughs) in for the night. And then they convince you. And just like, you're so, yeah, it's so exciting. Yeah. And get a friend who's going to shoot and kill somebody for you. Like that is. (laughs) That's a friend. (laughs) Yeah. But that is like the perfect best friend movie. It is. It is. Who are some female directors you'd like to give some recognition to prior to getting into the episode? Because I'm sure we're going to be yeah. touching on a few of them. Um, obviously, Karin Kusama, because she did Jennifer's Body. I'm also going to say Sofia Coppola, not that she needs any more recogni- recognition from me. <laughs> uh, I'll also say Martha Coolidge. She did Valley Girl. And she also did Material Girls, which is not a good movie, but I love it. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it. It's with mm. Hilary Duff and her sister. It's not a then good probably. movie. Then probably. Then <laughs> probably. Um, sorry, Martha. It's not a good movie, but I love Valley Girl. Um, and then uh, I'll say Mary Heron. She did American Psycho. Badass. Okay. I, wrote, I prepared some as well. Chloe Zhao, um, who did Nomadland. Sarah Polly for Women Talking, and then Lulu Wang for The Farewell, or, or my shout out. So for this next segment, we're going to be discussing some topics that are sensitive. So if you're someone who doesn't want to listen to any discussion pertaining to uh, sexual trauma, rape, anything along those lines, I would recommend, honestly, maybe skipping out on this episode because I'm sure it's going to come up quite a bit. Yeah. The first segment, I wanted to discuss... Specifically one movie, but I'm sure others will get referenced. You and I both, for this episode, watched Irreversible, uh, Gaspar Noé's 2002 movie, to discuss it. And so I'm going to read a little preface of the movie. Events over the course of one traumatic night in Paris unfold in reverse chronological order as the beautiful Alex is brutally raped and beaten by a stranger in the underpass and subsequently seeks revenge upon her assailant. A simultaneously beautiful and terrible examination of the destructive nature of cause and effect and how time destroys everything. Our main 
topic that introduced this segment was we wanted to discuss there's a nine minute rape scene in this movie, uh, which is kind of famously known for because a lot of people had really averse um, reactions to it. I wanted to get your perception first and then I'll give you mine. Yeah. Yeah. So I had never seen this movie before and I was putting it off because of the scene. And I have mixed thoughts on the movie as a whole, but specifically about the scene. A lot of people don't like this movie because they think that the rape scene is gratuitous and excessive. I actually appreciated it being nine minutes because that way you really feel the impact of what's happening to her. And I, there's, I have a lot of problems with the movie. Like I have other problems with it, but the actual scene wasn't one of my problems, which is interesting. When actual rape occurs, you don't cut away from it. And so I thought that it being nine minutes made me feel like the full impact of what was happening to her. It was so hard to watch. Like I, I had, I like, I was resisting the urge to like, look at my phone Mm -hmm. or look away because it made me so uncomfortable, but I, it's good that it made me uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. I guess. I I'm curious what your thoughts were. I I mean, I, I felt similarly. I think that I have this opinion and I've, I think I've shared it on the show, but when movies touch such uh, tragic or uncomfortable topics, whether it's rape, murder, incest, whatever topics that are very, very uncomfortable for us to view and talk about. I don't mind it being in film because it's real life. And that's Mm -hmm. what movie is, is depicting life. Exactly. And so I also like my hand was covering my mouth subconsciously the whole scene. Yeah. Just shock. But I also felt obviously that's the point. I thought the acting was really great. I I was thinking like, imagine what it's like to act a scene like that. Like, yeah, I cannot imagine. Yeah. I thought something I wanted to talk about. So did you notice that in the background, there's a guy who yes. walks, sees what's happening yes. and then turns around and Makes leaves me so angry. Yeah. But yeah. also I'm glad that they put that in there because yeah. it's like, well, so I have so many thoughts. Uh, one part of it, I'm thinking I appreciated how the camera was kind of like being an observer in this moment where we were the ones observing and are, mm-hmm. are we as an audience going to do something? Obviously we can't, but we are like the bystander viewing. Yeah, that's a really good point. And then the guy coming in and you see someone else making the decision that they don't want to be a part of this and they're going to leave. But we're kind of forced to be there and and observe. And it's like, what are we going to do with that information and with this visual? So I, I had read this theory online that I found really interesting. It was talking about how because the movie was in reverse order. So for those listening who haven't seen it, it starts with Marcus and Alex's ex-boyfriend who are out and they're searching vengefully for someone. And then quickly it cuts to this rape scene. So the movie is like starting with trauma and then it's working backwards to find out like, how did we end up here? And the interesting thing with this movie is that as a viewer, we have the context that she's been raped. So then all the other conversations that happen later in the movie just make you feel so icky and bad for her and uncomfortable because we know what's inevitably going to happen. So we have the context, which in life you typically don't have that context. And so you don't have as much empathy and sympathy for people. And so topics can be thrown around very um, flippantly. Mm -hmm. So specifically on the subway scene, when it's 
her boyfriend and her ex-boyfriend discussing what turns them on during sex and if they get off at the same time. And clearly they're having just like a juvenile conversation and she looks like uninterested in having that discussion, but then also having the context in mind of what has happened to her. It's like, it's that much more frustrating. Yeah. Um, I agree. Even though it's in the future, but we have, we have, we know we have the hindsight. yeah. Yeah. And that whole movie makes you feel so gross at least I felt so gross watching it because the movie is so vulgar Mm -hmm. like the language that they use there's the most vile language there's slurs being thrown around when when she's being raped too like the things he's saying are so vulgar and it just makes you it made me feel so gross watching it even the club that they're in called the rectum everything is so gross and it's so it's so sexually aggressive and and I don't know. So a lot of critiques call Gaspar Noé very um, heavy handed yeah. with his movies and almost juvenile with his themes. He's you trying know, he's, to say he's in it. He's the guy who's uh, I actually didn't know this. Yeah, he's the guy. This is like also graphic, but he's the guy in the club who's like jerking off. Oh, that's wow. him. Wow. That, yeah. So. So I I was curious to ask you, like, do you find these topics that he's choosing to cover and um, I guess overall themes, do you think it's too heavy handed and and juvenile? I thought his execution. Like I like I said, I actually the, the most controversial part of the movie, the rape scene is the part that I minded the least, which I know is like probably a hot take. I thought the way in which he executed everything else was a very male, toxic male perspective. Her boyfriend, Marcus, and like her ex-lover, they're searching for the man who raped her and they end up killing the wrong person. And it's so brutal. And they're like, the way that they're handling it is such a toxic like male reaction to her being raped. I thought the exact same thing. But also... I. Again, it's like it's done on purpose, though. It's done on purpose, but it's done on purpose. But I also interpret it as like the the director's a male. So that's maybe that's also how he's like thinking. This is me trying to be in his head. But like, oh, if my wife, if my girlfriend was raped, this is how I'd react. Yeah. And I totally get that reaction. If anybody did that to somebody I knew, I'd want to kill them, too. But I thought we'll get we'll talk about this later in the episode. But I thought a lot about Promising Young Women because that's a rape revenge movie, but it's so different. Yeah. And they handle it so much differently. It's funny because I was looking at different reviews on Letterboxd and it was only the women commenters that I noticed mm-hmm. who were saying, yeah, the men are going out seeking revenge and no one's with her in the hospital. Yeah. I don't know. I'm Maybe I'm giving him more credit where I think he's actually being outrospective about the male ego. I'm thinking about like anyone I've ever dated. <laughs> the man's initial jerk reaction to be like aggressive and and solve the problem yeah turning to aggression rather than uh, like empathy sympathy and emotion it it felt it felt like that was the point at least that's what I got from it yeah and that like a lot of people like you're right on Letterboxd they're like this is so disgusting like uh it's so gratuitous whatever but that is the point Mm -hmm. I agree with you it's supposed to disturb you if you're not disturbed by this movie yeah and something's wrong with you it's supposed to be impactful but I guess I was also thinking a lot about this too when I watched that scene 
it was obviously like it was so hard to watch. I'm a, I'm a woman, so I, maybe for me it's different like watching that. But I feel like all of the meaning that I took away from this film was the meaning that I gave it. It's not mm-hmm. any meaning that he imparted on me. Mm-hmm. It's like I know that rape is brutal. And also, you know, not all rape is that brutal, but all rape is that tragic. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And anything that I took away from that movie, it's the meaning that I placed on it. It's nothing that he imparted on me. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, a thousand percent. And we're going to every person watching this movie or any movie is going to it with their schema and their context of the world that they've lived so far. Yeah. Um, Like, I don't think he taught me anything new, but maybe that's because I'm a I'm a woman. So that's interesting. I I, that is something I thought about. And in red is like, okay, so he's he's bombarding the audience. Mm -hmm. He's trying to get a knee jerk disgust reaction from us. But are we learning anything? Like, what is the takeaway? I, yeah. And I that's pro- that's my problem with the movie is I the only thing I took away was like the trauma of watching that scene yeah. and any meaning that I imparted. I didn't t- he didn't teach me anything new. He didn't like show me a new perspective. Mm-hmm. He just showed me this is like he just showed me brutality. And that was it, which maybe that's all he was trying to do. I have two thoughts. Um, one is that sometimes I do think that movies don't need to be a lesson Mm -hmm. or a new nugget of information. It can just be a slice of life that we've never seen before. And it's a story that maybe the arc is what it is. Like it's not, I mean, obviously there's a deeper meaning to this, but to me, this was like a slice of life that I have never experienced and seen in my own world. That's a good point. Another thought I was having, I think what he was doing by reversing the movie's order One of the points I thought he might be making is, which I think if this is a point, I think it's too simple, cherishing the good and the what we have in the happy moments because you never know how it's going to end up. And like he's showing love, he's showing sex, he's showing the joy of finding out you're having a child, like all the like special moments that life can bring and then how futile life can be. Um, So it's like that contrast. I know that um, he did... I think this year, a re-release of the movie in chronological order. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. And I don't know. I'm not going to watch it because I don't (laughs) want to watch this again. I actually would be really curious to see it in chronological order because imagine watching a movie like the way we watched it. Mm -hmm. It it ends on a not an optimistic note, but it's definitely more lighthearted than it started. And imagine watching a movie and every scene just gets darker and darker and darker. Yeah. I'm very curious what that would be like. I interpreted the ending like because the way it ended, I thought it was more tragic because you see. yeah. Yeah. You see who this woman was before what happened and you know that she'll never be the same. Yeah. And like the last scene is very colorful. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you picked up on that, but it's like she's in a field and Mm -hmm. she's surrounded by like people. She's reading a book and like uh, there's children playing. And yeah, she finds out she's pregnant, which uh, I kind of thought that was just like a... Like Like a cop out or something? No, I just thought it was like, oh, here's another gut punch, but Mm -hmm. it didn't like really add anything to me because like, yeah, it's it's tragic, but like it didn't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was like a cheap emotional gut Mm -hmm. punch. Another thought I had was when it's like going in towards the end where she's in bed with her actual boyfriend and you kind of see what like actual consensual love is like. Mm -hmm. That also hurt me watching because I'm like, this is like a beautiful, like two people like actually loving each other. And 
then you know what actually happens to her. And like you were saying, like when they're at the party and like all the remarks they're making and she's kind of, oh, it's just so like her boyfriend doesn't walk her out. She like goes home. Like all of it is just so tragic. And I think because it was in reverse order and you already know what happens, seeing that makes it more tragic. So it would be interesting to see it flipped. Like Mm -hmm. would I have the same emotional reaction? Yeah. I had read a review somewhere, I think on Letterboxd, of a girl really frustrated with mm-hmm. this movie, saying that she felt like the the woman didn't have a ton of agency and it was mm-hmm. things happening to her. Yeah. Like everyone, I don't know, uh, the guys talking at her, the situation, it's all like predicaments that are not showing her as like a well-rounded person. Mm-hmm. And I did think that that's a valid point because I can see that perspective watching the movie but I also do feel like and it's like maybe I'm I'm giving directors and writers too much credit but I do think it's all with intention right I agree I kind of think that's the point yeah because if this movie is touching on the aggression and the toxic male Mm -hmm. ego then like of course they're not going to give her a moment to have agency and if it's almost like the script itself is doing exactly what the guys are doing. She, uh, yeah, she doesn't have agency in what happens to her. I think that's the the point. Yeah, and I, but I do empathize with like their frustration because I totally see that. Yeah, I also feel like we don't really need to know much about her to empathize with her because mm-hmm. she's still a person. Mm-hmm. I don't need to know like what she likes, her likes and dislikes, yeah. who she is in depth to feel like heartbreak for what happened to her yeah something another problem I had with the movie that I thought was like it's so homophobic oh I wanted to touch on this um it's like it like stood out to me it's from 2002 but still even for for 2002 it like stood out to me mm -hmm. because it didn't there's like a lot of slurs in it but there's just like a lot of like random mo- comments like and unnecessary. like unnecessary homophobia and transphobia. And it doesn't uh, add anything to the movie. It's just there. So I like it's like I maybe I'm being so devil's advocate, but I I felt like, OK, this guy, Marcus, kind of yeah. sucks. Like yeah. I find him super pr- prior to the end, just like the original relationship, like when they're supposed to be good and healthy and normal. Mm-hmm. I don't like him. Oh, me either. And so to me, I'm like, of course he would be homophobic. Like, it just felt like I would be shocked if he what if that character, that person wasn't homophobic mm-hmm. because it's like he's I don't like anything about him. Like he's a gross yeah. person who can't control his anger. And so to me, it's like, OK, yeah, this was kind of excessive. But I but I think that person that person exists. That's a that's a type of person. I just the way I interpret it was like I thought all of the like sexual aggression and brutality that was purposeful that had a point Mm -hmm. but the homophobia and transphobia didn't feel purposeful to me. It just felt like it was there. Yeah. I always am like writing this fine line when I watch movies of like people with people like this. Is it is it too much or am I just getting an idea of how disgusting this person is? You know? Yeah. Because it's like we don't condone this behavior. It also, I even went on a tangent when I was thinking about this movie today, how when the TV show Dahmer came out on Netflix, there was this conversation online talking about how like, okay, do we need another series in our show about like a serial killer? We're fetishizing and focusing on these people rather than the victims, Mm -hmm. even though the, the show did have more 
victim perspective than other Dahmer yeah. content in the past. Same with this movie where I'm thinking like, okay, like do we need uh, a whole movie focused on like such a dark, gross, not person, people? Do we give them more attention than they need? But I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point too. I don't know. To wrap up this movie specifically, what mm. were your takeaways with the way it was filmed? Because mm. Gaspar Noé kind of does that really his movies are very like untraditionally filmed. Yeah. And then also the music. Yeah. I was going to say the score of the film caused me a lot of anxiety. Like it really adds to it. There's for those who haven't watched it, there's like a, an alarm type sound that's like pretty much playing in pretty much the whole movie. Uh, It's like throughout in the background, this like alarm, like, and I think Jazeel, our other producer told me that he picked that frequency because it actually makes people feel sick and nauseous Mm -hmm. and that worked on me like I felt none of watching that movie was not an enjoyable experience for me Mm -hmm. and like the score definitely added to that and your other part of the question was uh how it was filmed and it made me feel dizzy too like because it's I don't know it I thought it was filmed very well it adds to like you're feeling anxious and like you kind of feel dizzy because the camera movements are like making you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that he's taken drugs, I think, too. Yeah. So like having that kind of like. Exactly. But a- then the rape scene is still. Mm-hmm. And that packs the punch even more, I think. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was filmed well. It's funny, just like everything we've talked about, obviously, we have a lot of mixed feelings and yeah. in reading reviews online, th- this movie is like you could dissect every detail yeah. and everyone's going to have like a polar opposite perspective yeah. and takeaway. Like we we both have mixed feelings, but I feel like a lot of stuff on Letterboxd, it's like people hate this movie and I don't hate this movie like a lot of people do. I totally get why it's controversial, but I don't absolutely despise it like mm-hmm. a lot of people do. Yeah, I I like don't even know where to pocket this movie (laughs) myself. I would say those listening, watch with care. Yeah, watch with care. Don't watch it in bed before you go to sleep like I did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's never a good time to watch this movie, though. Yeah, no. I was going to say in the morning, if you're someone who's like easily agitated. Then it could could destroy your day. So And also like visually, it's a pretty dark movie. I think you'd have to be in a dark room. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Ridley Scott's Thelma and Louise. Two. Did you see his butt? <laughs> I swear, three days ago, neither one of us would have ever pulled a stunt like this. Coming to a screen near you in the year 1991. <laughs> well, to transition going to talk about Promising Young Woman that came out in 2020 by Emerald Fennell. Uh, the plot of this movie is a young woman haunted by a tragedy in her past takes revenge on the predatory men unlucky enough to cross her path. Um, I'm pretty sure you and I have different opinions we on this do. movie. We <laughs> do. So yeah. this will be fun. <laughs> yeah. So how about you just tell me your okay. perspective of this movie. Well, I was thinking about this movie a lot. Like to tie it to Irreversible, I thought about this movie a lot while watching Irreversible because it is a rape revenge movie but it's so different and like what I was saying about the like I felt irreversible handled it toxic male rage like this is revenge uh I don't feel that way about promising young woman that felt very like female perspective Mm -hmm. for me where 
you don't even see the rape in this movie. I don't even know um, if they use the word rape. I I don't think they do. Not yeah. once in the script. I had yeah. I don't think they do. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But she's getting revenge for her friend in her own way. And then you know the end of the movie does turn violent. But um, I there were there, I have problems with this movie too, but I loved this movie for what it did and I thought it was very satisfying like at every point mm-hmm. where like everything she did to get revenge it was just very satisfying to me mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I think my initial like um feelings of not loving this movie don't actually come from plot they purely are I think artistic choices so okay. like the music the colors like I it just Interesting. is it's not my type of movie like I'm someone who likes um more dramatic suspenseful like dark type of movie okay. so this i know it was intentionally being kind of like cutesy girly badass yeah it just wasn't resonating with me even like the i'm pretty sure it's like a blue coffee shop she works yeah. in. yeah just all the colors in this you movie didn't like her outfits like i'm not the target audience this isn't like yeah my color palette or music yeah the music really threw me off what what uh did you think about the acting performances yeah, it's funny. This is all just like aesthetics that it bothered me, um, which I knew I can tell they're all intentional choices. Yeah, they are. They're just sure. not. Yeah, for me, I think she's a really good actor. The director, I know she chose specifically like cutesy, nice, waspy guys mm-hmm. to be the gross villains in the movie, yeah. like intentionally, which I thought. Bo Burnham. Yeah, Bo yeah. Burnham. I guess I wouldn't describe Bo Burnham as waspy, but no. like um, just kind of boat shoes. Yeah, yeah. Type of Preppy, guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so I liked the casting. I thought the acting was good. I, d- I didn't mind Bo Burnham's acting. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I felt like this movie, I got what it was trying to do. I just didn't think it did it. Like it didn't mm-hmm. feel empowering to me. Maybe it felt like a little corny to me and I don't know why. And I'm like, maybe I'm too blocked by the yeah. aesthetics that I didn't resonate with. Yeah. I also had a hard time with two things. One the notion of like, okay, so she's going and checking off a list and getting revenge against men for the sake of her best friend. Yeah. And in theory, that sounds great, but I like this is a spoiler. I don't like that it ends with her dying because I'm like, did you really get revenge? Like it, putting it in the hands of the cop at the end, I didn't feel like was mm, satisfying to me. Yeah. And then the other thing was she, um, Makes a woman in the movie believe that she herself was raped. Um, yeah. By like setting her up and. Oh, I, her daughter. Her, oh, right? No, or, I was thinking the the friend that she gets it like oh, goes to like a cafe yes, with and yes. then sets her up. Yeah. With a like a. Yeah. Prostitute or something. I don't remember who the guy was. Um, right. Or yeah. Maybe it was like a friend and she ha- she has him at the hotel. I forget. But well, that seems counterintuitive. I don't know. Like it's like, do we get to choose the fine lines of when we're being empowering and when we're not. I I see what you're saying about it being counterintuitive, but I thought I I liked it. She, I mean, the protagonist does crazy things to prove her point. Yeah. I thought that was one of them because she, I took it, I interpreted that as like, okay, now imagine you're in this situation. How do you feel mm-hmm. if it was you? And like, that's the only thing that make, made her realize uh, the gravity of her friend's rape. Yeah, she did the same thing with the dean of the school's daughter. Mm-hmm. She she was like, oh, your daughter's there right now. And like, that's what makes the dean like it clicks in the dean's head. Like, oh, if it's my daughter, I would take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And I would actually like believe yeah. my daughter. 
So she does crazy things yeah. to prove her point. But I, I thought her doing that is actually what made the girl get it. The uh, Another thing that this movie I thought of in relation to Irreversible is that the scene where she's getting suffocated apparently is like the amount of time it would take to actually suffocate someone when okay. the guy's suffocating her with the pillow. And so it's, again, one of those scenes, uh, even though this movie is a lot more like cheeky than irreversible, mm-hmm. like the portrayal of these instances that are pretty traumatic are yeah. not being like and cut to yeah. and movi- yeah. movified. And that's what I appreciate. Uh, that's what I appreciated about irreversible. Like yeah. you're, that's that's what that's real, mm-hmm. and that's uh, it makes it makes it more impactful because it's uncomfortable to watch, and they force you to sit with it mm-hmm. and feel the full impact. Okay, and then in the same vein, I I wanted you to watch <laughs> Palm Trees and Power Lines. Yes, which I saw this year at the Los Feliz Cinematheque Theater do a series I don't know when this episode will air but I talked to Imani about it mm-hmm. um they did a women Wednesday month and I saw it there and the director Jamie Dack was there so she answered a Q&A after and I'm going to read the description of this movie a disconnected teenage girl enters a relationship with a man twice her age she sees him as the solution to all her problems but his intentions are not what they seem so essentially this is a I would say a slower paced movie about a young girl, single mom. Yeah. Uh, living with her mom. Her mom is dating and kind of distant. So she's kind of just doing her own thing, not being watched closely and meets this older guy and cut to the relationship. It's it's essentially a movie about the process of grooming. Yeah. And how a, someone, a young girl could get caught up in that situation and she's just so the actress is so good at being so naive she is she's really good what was your just initial takeaway watching that movie well i like we're all all i'm thinking about right now is the ending like that is the one of the most tragic frustrating endings i've seen in a movie in a long time spoiler alert she yeah she's groomed by this man this whole movie and then there's a point in the movie where she kind of realizes that this guy's not good and he's not good for her and she breaks away from him for a while but then by the end of the movie she calls him and she goes back and like you just know uh as the viewer that she's she's in this now she's like it, basically a child prostitute with mm-hmm. this guy and like he's her pimp and you think in the movie that she she gets away and she's like she realized that it's a bad thing and she's done with it but then at the end of the movie she knocks on his door and that's how it ends and you just know like her fate is not good and it's so sad yeah the director at the Q&A was saying how the ending was the first thing like she always knew that that was going to be the ending of the movie yeah. so it was one of those where like everything was building to that and it I found it equally frustrating but also I kind of feel like it had to end it that way. It had to. It had to. I because agree. it had. It, it, that's what makes it a lesson. Yes, and that's like the re- that's the reality of like how the usually what happens to these girls too. Yeah, that movie is heavy. I I think it's one of those that like I actually would recommend it to people though, especially like young girls to maybe see mm-hmm. with like uh, a big sister or their mom or someone yeah. they can talk to about it afterwards because it's it's like all the classic grooming techniques that you hear about as a woman like living it's crazy how like it's like no one teaches us mm-hmm. these things but we we get to a certain age and we're like yeah we know the things to look out for maybe yeah. schools do that now no I think you're right like watching that as a young girl uh 
might, it would be hard to watch, but it could actually teach you and like have you avoid yourself getting in a situation like that because watching it from a third party or or like a yeah third person point of view it's so obvious what's happening happening to her mm-hmm. isn't good but like you don't you never feel that way when you're the person mm-hmm. or you're the victim in it and i honestly think like you said that movie can actually help girls mm-hmm. and it it's funny too cuz imagine a, an older guy saying those things to you and it's like you don't think it's a cliche when someone's yeah. saying it to you yeah but then yeah having that outside view even just like from the beginning when he meet when they meet to for, like from his perspective he so like she's sitting in a diner with his friends and he's watching her because in his head he's like this is my next victim basically like I'm gonna recruit her to like be one of my girls that I pimp out and he's watching her and then so he lingers longer in his car waiting for her to walk out Mm -hmm. but from her point of view she's like oh this older guy is like really sweet and he's interested in me and he's just friendly and he's talking to me and she doesn't realize that no he like picked you for a reason Mm -hmm. it's all premeditated he's sitting out in his car waiting for you to come out it's Mm -hmm. not by chance but she is so young that she's like swept up away in the prospect that like an older guy could be interested in her when nobody else in her life is interested in her exactly the details of like um, like entrapping someone by bonding with them over yeah. feeling like he's trying to relate to these instances where she feels lost and alone and, and misunderstood. And he's like making it so like throughout the movie, he's making it so that he's the hero where like he's the only person that she can rely on. Mm-hmm. And that's why she calls him in the end, because she's like, he'll listen to me. Yeah. Like he'll give me attention. He's doing it all on purpose to like make he's the only person she can rely on yeah basically yeah it's funny that these three movies are all such different tones mm-hmm. that we've talked about but i honestly i'd recommend that yeah to men and women but women especially young women mm, irreversible not young women I, no. I take that back <laughs> i take that back yeah uh i i would say in reverse these movies can age up yeah and i mean this one actually is heavy no because that hotel scene yeah the hotel scene is bad and maybe high school and up yeah high school and up <laughs> but also like in in that movie he's also saying to her like uh it's the like he's gaslighting her into believing like her friends aren't really her friends or he's like he makes comments about her friends like oh your friends are just jealous or like things like that where it's like anybody who actually shows concern for her he makes her believe that they're just trying to get in her head when it's really him who's mm-hmm. trying to get in her head and it's frustrating too because the all these different tactics on paper like reading it online seeing it in a seminar or something mm-hmm. it's like duh 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 but then you watch it play out in a movie and you're like well of course someone's gonna be drawn to this guy like it yeah someone can uh, it's different when it's your life yeah yeah I think that's a really important movie to watch I'm glad you saw it yeah it's also hard it's also it's hard. slow it's, it's slow it's a very yeah. slow like uh, I guess the director, um, the movie Inspiration, it was a short film originally, I believe. And mm-hmm. it also started from, she's also a photographer and she was just kind of s- shooting that location and then decided this would be a good, I think, location for this film. Yeah, it's good. So our second portion of this episode, we wanted to t- kind of flip to a lighter note and talk about women mm-hmm. empowerment in film. Yes. And celebrating femininity. Uh, so first we had in here Legally Blonde and that came out in 2001. 
if you haven't seen Legally Blonde yet, I'm not reading this plot. Yeah, <laughs> go see it. It's iconic. Do you want to kind of touch on the relevance yeah. of this movie to women empowerment and specifically femininity? Yeah. So this Legally Blonde is one of the first movies I remember seeing that actually truly celebrated hyper femininity and uh it's like a skill set in this movie Elle Woods is obviously like she loves pink she is super like girly whatever that means and uh she loves like fashion she loves clothes she loves um hair she loves beauty and she's also incredibly intelligent and just because like she's all those things at once and this movie actually like really showcases like you can be all of these things and be very intelligent and smart and at the beginning of the movie like her peers kind of judge her for her interests but by the end of the movie like she ends up winning the case because of her knowledge and beauty and it's just one of the first movies I've seen that like really celebrates femininity and I saw myself in that because I consider myself to be very feminine Mm -hmm. so I just love that movie it's such a good movie as you were talking I thought of the kind of like you can be it all I was thinking in the movie Booksmart yeah the scene where I guess at the beginning and the two main girls are discussing like oh they didn't get into the colleges they wanted to or or they waitlisted or I forget and the other girls in the bathroom are like I party every single night and I got into these Ivy Leagues. Like, yes, that's such a good uh, comparison. It's like kind of the, not modern day, but the more evolved version yeah. of it where like women don't need to be put in this box just because you want to have fun and party or maybe hook up with people like doesn't mean you're also not smart or exactly just because you um, care about perms doesn't mean (laughs) that you can't be a Harvard Law student. Yeah, exactly. And I just feel like a lot of movies and TV shows, not that there's anything wrong with this, but uh, I feel like a lot of strong women in movies usually have traditionally masculine qualities. Mm -hmm. Um, Like they're not emotional. They're kind of detached in general. They don't care. It's like also tying into not your other like uh not like other girls syndrome mm-hmm. where like they don't care about makeup they don't care mm-hmm. about their appearance and there's nothing wrong with that because women are multifaceted mm-hmm. those women exist like, yeah uh women are all different um but I liked Legally Blonde a lot because they like use her femininity as a superpower and they tap into her femininity rather than stripping it away and like giving her more masculine qualities to seem stronger mm-hmm. makes sense well, so next we wanted to tie in, obviously Barbie came out this year yeah. and that's another great example of owning your femininity yeah. and um, being a girl's girl. <laughs> yeah. What was your takeaway? I loved Barbie. I I just loved everything about it. I love that they kind of reclaimed the harm, I guess, if that's what you want to call it, that Barbie has done because Bobby, Barbie is also controversial because there's arguments that it's made girls more self-conscious about how they look and contributed to all sorts of things like eating disorders and um, just like not feeling good about yourself. But that movie kind of like reclaimed uh, what it, what Barbie is and kind of rebranded it. And I just loved it for all that, those reasons. What did you think? I mean, I also loved Barbie. I, I did feel like the theme was so on the nose, but I was mm-hmm. like, this movie's for all ages, so yeah. I'll allow it. It's very like mainstream. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The the scene where like they're combating 
the Kens by reiterating this like long phrase. I'm like, okay, like cheesy, but I I still love it. Like I'm not going to not love this movie. It's for me. (laughs) Also, when they talk about the pride and when they do like a pride and prejudice, like shout out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I felt it was like your world's worlds colliding. Yeah. Although I like the 2005 Pride and Prejudice more than the BBC. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is specifically the one that they reference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the final movie I wanted to lump in here was Miss Congeniality. It's a movie <laughs> that I love that came out in 2000 by Donald Petrie mm-hmm. with Sandra Bullock. And she also is one of those characters where she's an FBI, an FBI agent yeah. and she's masculine and she's one of the guys and she's they're going through the different headshots or whatever of the different girls in the pageant and she's judging them mm-hmm. by their appearances and making fun of them and trying to like be one of the guys by putting them down and and by the end of the movie she she comes to that conclusion herself and it's like of course all these movies are very like cutesy and see I was gonna say simple honestly kind of a simple arc mm-hmm. but it's like important movies for yeah. women and but I love movies like this because even though they seem so silly and trivial, it's like movies like that that reach a mainstream audience that can do the most impact. And mm-hmm. it's it may not seem obvious and it's super subtle, but like, yeah, like I said, I like Legally Blonde is such a fun, easy movie to watch and not think about. Mm-hmm. But I felt seen by that movie as a young girl. So mm-hmm. it obviously made an impact on me. Mm-hmm. And then like Miss Congeniality, that is an important movie, too, because instead of it kind of teaches like instead of women judging other women like celebrate all of our differences and don't judge people like it's it's equally as important and it's like these movies with these themes are getting made again and again and again Mm -hmm. because like these are topics that are never going away you know so it's every generation needs their legally blonde and needs their congeniality yeah Yeah. and this generation had barbie and yes exactly So our final topic we wanted to discuss was Priscilla just came out, the Sofia Coppola movie, and Elvis by Baz Luhrmann came out last year in 2022. So we wanted to discuss the different perspectives of mm-hmm. those movies, the differences, and how the female gaze is incorporated within that. So where do we begin? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'll start with Elvis. I want to first start off by saying I know that Elvis is about Elvis like it's not about Priscilla so I like totally understand that about that movie and like to unpack all of the Priscilla like the Priscilla arc it would be impossible I mean it's already a three-hour movie yeah like to unpack the Priscilla thing would uh it wasn't the point yeah it wasn't the point that being said watching that movie uh, cause it's like another Elvis movie and I'm like, nobody's talking about Priscilla mm. and they, like, they just gloss over the fact that like his wife is 14 when they met, when they met, like, I don't know, it, that always irritated me about that movie where mm. like they, they don't even mention it at all. They kind of, and I get why they have to gloss over it because like I said, like to unpack that mm-hmm. would be a whole other movie and that's why Priscilla exists mm-hmm. now. Um, but what did you think of Elvis? Um, I really like Baz Luhrmann for how uh, campy he is. Yeah, I love Moulin Rouge. Oh, I love Moulin Rouge. And Great Gatsby. Like yeah. the the theatrics. I did musical theater as a kid. I love the extra. 
so I'm a fan. I, I view it in such a different department than Priscilla. Priscilla to me was a movie for the girls. Yes. And I was like, <laughs> thank God. Like to like, me, finally. <laughs> it almost feels like silly comparing them. Cause it's like, yes, they're, they're in the same world, but, but one, they have different points. They have exactly. different messages. Um, Priscilla, but again, Priscilla was interesting cause it's, it's not a female gaze movie. No, it's not at all. It's so that's also what's interesting, but but I think it's still for us because it's um well one, it's based off of her autobiography. So it's like yeah. from the perspective and, of a, and Priscilla produced it too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I absolutely I, we've talked about this movie a few times in the show. Mm-hmm. Chronologically, I don't know when people yeah, will hear yeah. what, but I absolutely loved it. I loved it and I loved it uh from since from seeing the trailer. Because the trailer like truly emphasized that she was a child. And I feel like every time I've seen before Priscilla came out, every time I've seen Priscilla portrayed in any Elvis story, nobody like really like she never really felt like a child as much as she did in the trailer for Priscilla. Like Mm -hmm. she's sitting in school with her like little pom pom pen and like she's so young and like he's picking her up from ninth grade and he's like in his 20s and i just i liked uh how authentic it felt to priscilla Mm -hmm. i agree i think the movie did a really good job obviously like you and i really loved i think we talked about like the outfits yes everything i love so visually style yeah Yeah. so so good but also yeah true to a woman's story that we didn't really get to hear prior to this. So it's great that yeah. we got that story out there. Yeah. I'm it's very, been out there, but in this form. In this form. Yeah. So we've obviously touched on a lot of different topics today. And I know we've gone from heavy to lighthearted. And um, I guess the common thread throughout is just our perspective as females watching these movies. And I hope those listening today felt seen or heard and if you didn't it wasn't for you (laughs) and there's other episodes for you also just love that like we can have different opinions too and talk about like everyone's perspective because movies are so subjective regard yes yeah they're so subjective we got different takeaways we like different things about each but that's what's fun is just shooting the shit about movies yeah (laughs) (laughs) well on that note uh i would love to leave the listeners with a movie recommendation from you maybe something more lighthearted and fun since we kind of started at a heavy dark place okay i this is a classic but it's my favorite feel-good movie when i want to like just enjoy life Mm -hmm. 13 going on 30 ah that's a great movie yeah um if you haven't seen it watch it it's so incredible mark ruffalo is so cutie he's i love mark ruffalo i love jennifer garner and it's just such a feel-good movie watch 13 going on 30 it'll make you happy hell yes okay well thank you for being on the show olivia and standing in front of the camera instead of behind the camera this time (laughs) i love chatting with you before i let you go do you have anything you'd like to plug for this episode um my instagram and my letterbox are just my name olivia deaton and I also review hot dogs sometimes, uh, which if you're interested in that and getting all the hot dog recommendations, you can follow me at Delectable Dogs on TikTok and Instagram. Sweet. And obviously listen to Intermission and share with your friends. <laughs> Thank you for being on here. And I had a blast. Me too. Okay, now time to get lost. Good evening.
If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us five stars on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow our Instagram at It's Intermission Time and share with your friends. As always, Intermission is produced by Duzeel Chu and Olivia Deaton, directed by Caden LaRocchi, and of course, hosted by yours truly, Megan Braun. Be sure to say your prayers and visit the synagogue on all platforms. Oh,